big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. It is fucking classic that we switched to my apartment Mm -hmm. to avoid the airport near your apartment. It's true. And that we record 10 seconds of silence. And as we're recording it, for the first time ever, I hear an airport out my window. Yeah. I mean, it was probably more likely that that was a car starting up, but it's... I guess, I guess, but it sounded like an airplane, didn't it? It did sound, it sounded like the same thing that we get in, outside of my apartment. Uh, we are here in our new location, Becca's room. Yes, it is a little cozier. Yeah, we're sitting on her bed, which is nice. Yes, I have a very nice duvet cover, but primarily it's nice because the reverb is a little better in here. So are you ready to hear my story? Yes. Okay, so I have a story about what I did last night. As you know, Becca, Mm -hmm. you don't know, listeners, I was feeling a little under the weather, so I was invited to a party and I didn't go. And my roommate, who also has been my best friend since we were five, was like, let's watch a movie. And so we got hot chocolate, we got popcorn, and we watched You've Got Mail. A movie that has not aged the most gracefully. You know, I it's a great film. <laughs> I have I have no qualms except this. Do you know how many Pride and Prejudice references there are in that movie? You know I'd forgotten. It's like a whole plot line, and the first moment it's mentioned, Hannah and I looked at each other and I put my hands over my ears and I just started screaming and she started screaming and we were just both like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm Molly. I'm Becca. And welcome to Pod and Prejudice. We're going to talk some Jane Austen, specifically. If you're joining us now, I'm just going to go through it really quickly. Molly's never read Jane Austen novels. I've read a lot of Jane Austen novels. We're reading Pride and Prejudice. Get on board. And um, today, we are finishing out volume the first. Volume the first of Pride and Prejudice. I've begun my notes on these by calling these the what the fuck chapters because I texted Becca so many times just what the fuck. So Molly often texts me while she's reading the book and I try really hard not to respond. It was particularly difficult to not <laughs> respond to Molly's texts this time yeah. because they were highly emotional. Very. But I have been waiting since I think episode two at least for these chapters. hmm They have been in the back of my mind as we've been doing this podcast, Mm -hmm. so I'm really excited to get talking about them Ah! and for Molly to vent all of her feelings about what's happening in these chapters. I am shook. Let's begin. Chapter 21 begins with the discussion of the big proposal, Mr. Collins' proposal to Lizzie, having almost died down. I hadn't realized that at this point it had only been a day. Like, it's still all in the same day. He proposed, there was all this drama, Charlotte came over, and now it's like probably mid-afternoon to evening. Yeah, remember, he proposed at the breakfast table. Yeah, so it's been a long day. Everyone's tired. a very emotional day in the Bennett household. And yeah, and Mr. Collins is just walking around ignoring Lizzie, and I was very surprised. I thought he would have left by now. Well, again, he lives kind of far enough that it's not easy for him to just leave. Like, if you're staying with your friend in Chicago and you have a fight, you can't just up and go home. Right, right. But still, get a horse and go. That's my opinion, but... (laughs) Pull a Jane, catch a cold on a horse. Yeah. Instead of talking to Lizzie, he just talks to Charlotte, who is still there and has no reason to be rude to him, and so she listens to him very civilly, and everyone is relieved, especially Lizzie, that he's not talking to them instead. The next day, Mrs. Bennett is still very angry. Specifically, they say that she's in ill humor and ill health, and I think Mrs. Bennett... 
could benefit from therapy. She literally has made herself sick with anxiety. That's she's what's so happened. stressed that she's like, hair is falling out. And I'm basically picturing like she can't get out of bed and she's just fanning herself like, ah! Yeah, she's very stressed. Uh, same with Collins. He's still angry. Lizzie, like I... Hoped that he would have left by now, but he planned to stay till Saturday. Till Saturday he shall stay. The girls go back to Maryton to see if Wickham is back, which he is. And it says that he, he meets them at the edge of town. Was he just waiting there? That's a good question. I don't think he was. I assume he wasn't, but it's interesting that they went to go ask if he was back and the first person they bump into is him. Well, he's been loitering around this town because, I mean, he's got a little... A little, a little crushy crush. A little crush. And so he'll hang out near her aunt's house. That's what you do when you have a cruise. That's what I do. I mean, apparently it works for Wickham because there's a certain level of hot a person can be Mm -hmm. where any move works. Right. Do you know what I mean? Anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Wickham is pretty hot, as we've established many times. Mm-hmm. Also, just for our listeners' sake, this is an ASMR-themed episode because Molly and I are drinking some tea right now. Shall we sip? So if you at any point in time hear a weird slurp, (laughs) that is because we have some warm peppermint liquid in our hands, Mm -hmm. and it is making us happy because this is a very cold room. And and in fact, New York is cold now. New York just is suddenly so cold. So he meets them at the edge of town and walks with them to their aunt's house. When they're at their aunt's house, he gets some, you know, talky-talk time with Lizzie and assures her that he didn't go to the ball by choice. It was his own choice. He didn't want to make a scene, and he didn't trust himself not to make a scene. What a messy bitch. Truly. Honestly. But I like that you say they were talky-talking, when in reality they are... Flirting! Oh, yeah. It's described as the commendation which they civilly bestowed on each other. Wait, do you want me to pull up the... Yeah, I brought my book, but it's over there. Here, do you want to grab it really quick? Yeah, I should get it. Their flirting is described as such. They had leisure for a full discussion of it and for all the commendation which they civilly bestowed upon each other. Lizzie, you slutty little bitch. So civil. (laughs) So civil. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Wickham and another officer walk them all the way back to Longbourn, which Lizzie seems is prime because she wants to introduce him to her parents, but then we don't even get, like, a Wickham meeting the parents scene. Well, some other things supersede that, but basically, Wickham and Lizzie are just kind of in really early modes of sort of courting each other. For sure. So there's time for those things. Yeah. And other things take precedence. Other things happen to happen at this point, which is Jane gets a letter from Netherfield. And Lizzie watches her read it and starts to notice a shift in the vibe. Jane tries to be cheerful when she re-enters the conversation, but Lizzie notices that she's kind of distracted. So have you ever, like, had a friend get a disturbing text message in, like, class or a group hangout? Yeah. And you immediately know something happened? Yeah, they just kind of get really quiet and are looking at their phone. Yeah. And this is one of those times where if... Lizzie had a cell phone, she would have texted Jane, you okay, you went quiet. Yeah. And then Jane would have texted back, like, talk later. Yeah. But instead, what we have is that Lizzie's just kind of distracted, even from her little... Boothang. Little Boothang. Yeah. She's distracted. And as soon as Boothang leaves... (laughs) Jane and Lizzie go into another room, and Jane tells her that Caroline has written... To tell her that they have all left Netherfield and are never coming back. Yeah, it's like a full stop. Yeah. It's a record scratch. It's... It's me texting Becca what? <laughs> that is what happened. Also, I saw in your book that you just wrote what? Yeah, very large. Very, very large. Never coming back. So back mm-hmm. in episode one, you and I had a discussion about how they've like leased Netherfield. Right. And I didn't want to give anything away. Is this to say that their release is up? Well, yeah, they don't have to go back out there, I think. Well, it seems like they're not coming back for the winter, is what everyone keeps saying. So I was like, are they going back eventually or no? Like, have they given up their lease? Well, that I'm not going to tell you. Okay, so, but yeah, so they don't have to stay there and they're not. Like, they're renting and now they're like, all right, done with that. That makes sense. I'm surprised. I feel like this moment is heartbreaking. In a big way. Oh, it gets worse. It gets so much worse. Poor Jane. 
her. She's so dumb. She's not just dumb. It's so easy when you are sort of flirting with someone, mm-hmm. courting them, and you really feel like you've sensed a connection. Yeah. And then they rip the rug out from under you. It is so easy to feel like you were the fool and that you made it all up. Mm-hmm. I'm not speaking from personal experience. Are you not, Becca? No, I am. We all are. <laughs> yeah, we it's are. happened to everyone. It it's, has. We all break hearts and get our hearts broken. That is why these books are still relevant today. The way Jane goes about interpreting this is so heart-wrenching because she's just not willing to accept that anyone could have harmed her. She is so trusting. And also, she's so insecure. Yeah, she doesn't think that she's worth it. Yeah, and she's just like, oh, I guess he never wanted me to begin with. Which is a tough sell, considering Jane Austen, every other second of the first volume of this book, has been like, meanwhile, Jane and Bingley were in the corner making eyes at each other. Lizzie noticed how much they loved each other. (laughs) Yeah, it's not accurate. And it gets worse. So... Caroline has written that the only thing she regrets leaving behind is Jane's society and hopes that they will write to each other frequently. She refers to their dialogues as delightful intercourse. And (laughs) Lizzie listens to all of this with, like, a deep sense of distrust, but she also doesn't really see any loss in them having left because she hates those sisters and she believes that Bingley will come back anyway to visit or to stay. You know, do you want to stay for dinner? Do you want to stay forever? (laughs) She tells this to Jane, and she adds that the delightful intercourse that they've known as friends will soon be restored as sisters when Jane and Bingley get married, all tied up neatly with a bow. Love that. But wait, there's more. Caroline says that they've all gone with Charlie so that he won't have to stay in a comfortless hotel and that she wishes Jane could come, but she's sure Jane can't come. Jane could come if she wants. It's like, kind of like, oh, but I know your parents aren't going to let you go with us right. on this trip, so like, like so sad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just throwing it in her face that they're off there having fun without her. And she hopes that her holidays will be the best and, quote, that your beau as in, like, your pleasantries, I suppose, will be so numerous as to prevent your feeling the loss of the three whom we shall deprive you. So she just, like, doesn't even count Darcy or Mr. Hurst at all. Well, I mean, Darcy's not really society. He's just grump. He's just there. And Mr. Hurst... Mr. Hurst is just there. Yeah, yeah. he's just meh. I did talk to someone recently who told me that it's, like, pretty heavily implied that Mr. Hurst is just a straight-up lush, which, now that I think about it, makes so much sense. He's a what? Alcoholic. Like a... Like he's drunk. Oh, all the alcoholic! Time. I thought you yeah. said something else. <laughs> Lush. What did you think it oh, was? Oh no, then you said alcoholic, and I thought you said a colic, and I was like, like cholera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just shitting his pants the, in the I, corner. <laughs> I didn't understand. Here, mm, no. You know. Someone told me that apparently it's heavily implied, and I can see that now. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that our listeners are participating in the dialogue. Ooh. So Jane derives from this that clearly Bingley isn't coming back this winter. And Lizzie says what's clear is that Caroline doesn't think that he should, not that he won't. And Jane says that he is his own master and it's his own doing. And I say to that, Jane, Bingley is the least his own master in this entire book. That is so true. He's so codependent. I know. There's no way he can make this decision for himself. I remember vividly in episode one, you said something to the effect of, I relate to Bingley because he needs like five people's opinions before he makes any move. Yeah, specifically 12 people's opinions. Yeah. And that is so accurate. And I was just going to sit there buttoned up and be like, "Hmm, Mm -hmm. he's not the master of his own. He's not. So still more to come. Darcy is eager to, this is all Caroline's letter, Darcy is eager to see his sister, whose name we learn is Georgiana. I'm going to call her Georgie. Oh, I'm, I'm down with that. That's a good Georgiana nickname. Yeah. And everyone in the party is equally as eager to see her because she is the most beautiful, elegant, and accomplished woman. And Louisa, did we know that her sister's name was Louisa? Louisa Hurst? I think we named her something else. Yeah, we named her Leanne. Louisa Leanne, potato, potato. Potato, potato. That Caroline and Louisa are so hopeful that she will become their sister. And to that, I was like, oh, obviously, because Caroline wants to marry Darcy, and that would make Georgie their sister. No, that's not what she meant. I what was wrong. What did she mean, Molly? She explains that her brother Charlie has already admired Georgie greatly, and she believes that Charles is the most capable of engaging any woman's heart. Basically saying that she wants Charlie to marry Georgie 
Darcy. What? This is particularly cruel. It was just so out of left field. I think it's one of the most brilliant lines from Caroline Bingley so far in this book. She is a mean girl, and she is a mean girl that is effective to a point. Mm -hmm. This is her most tactile attack. Oh, she was planning this. This is a very real move that is used by mean girls to this day to just casually mention somebody else involved. Yeah, Yeah. be like, oh, he likes that girl, so, Yeah, he's like, oh, he's been so hung up on her for years. I've heard that. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard that. I have. It's really devastating and very easy to do. Mm-hmm. And the worst part about the attack is that you can claim ignorance. Right. But we know Caroline's not ignorant. Oh, there's no way she could be. Well, we literally have read portions of her talking to her brother about this girl. Right. So it's just so bitchy and it's so aimed at Jane to make her self-doubt. And we all know that Jane does that enough already. Honestly, I think we're all Lizzie Bennet in this moment just being like, how fucking dare you? Yeah. It's like that meme where it's that boy and he's holding all of the Luke Skywalkers and it's like me when I see the Last Jedi trailer and he's like (laughs) holding all the Luke Skywalkers and a gun. (laughs) That's how it's just like we're all holding Jane in our arms. Or that Kevin Hart meme where you're just holding him and you're pointing the gun at the other person. I saw that with C-3PO in the recent trailer. Oh, yeah. We're not going to go there We're not going to go there. We're not going to go there yet. So... Jane is like, Lizzie, isn't it clear? Caroline is telling me that Charlie doesn't love me. I'm calling him Charlie, but we all know I'm talking about Bingley, right? Oh, yeah, we know what you're talking about, Charles Bingley. Um, Caroline is telling me that Charlie doesn't love me, and if she even suspects that I kind of like him, she's trying to put me most kindly on my guard. This was not kind, Jane. Could it possibly mean anything else? And Lizzie's like, yeah, it could. Caroline knows that Charlie loves you and she wants him to marry Georgie and she's followed him into town to keep him there and is trying to convince you that he doesn't love you. Put very upfront just this is what it is and Jane doesn't believe it at all and Lizzie's like nobody in their right mind couldn't see how Bingley feels about you. Quote, could she, meaning Caroline, have seen half as much love in Mr. Darcy for herself, she would have ordered her wedding clothes. Seriously. Then, very blatantly, Lizzie says, the case is this. We are not rich enough or grand enough for them. Boom. Caroline wants Bingley to marry Georgiana Darcy because she thinks that the chances of her marrying our boy Darcy would be increased if there is already one intermarriage, but I think that's creepy because then they'd be in-laws. I think it's less creepy than the cousin thing. Sure, but cousin seems like this time period everyone's marrying their cousin. (laughs) So that makes it chill? No. I think I think this is way more chill. What is chill about Caroline Bingley? Please tell me. Oh, nothing is chill about Caroline Bingley. I simply mean that marrying your sure, brother's sure, sure. wife's brother is not physically like blood incest. Right. It sure. has its creepy elements, but I am way more willing to remove those elements right. for the time period than the cousin element. For our listeners, This is a debate you're welcome to engage in. Cousins versus in-laws, which is creepier. Love that for us. This is a good journey for us to go on. Yeah. I will say that Caroline's really pulling on a lot of strings here, and I think that's what bothers me the most. Lizzie also says that she thinks that this plan would work, except for Baby DeBerg. Baby DeBerg. Ruining everything. Ruining everything. If you are joining us now for the first time, Darcy and Baby DeBerg are basically set to be married at some point. Yes. Betrothed by rumor. But Lizzie says that she doesn't think that just because Bingley admires Georgiana Darcy doesn't mean that he likes Jane any less, and she doesn't think Caroline could ever convince him not to like Jane. Jane says that Caroline is incapable of lying. This is where I lose a little patience with Jane. A little? (laughs) Jane, you're so dumb. Like, I love you. I love her. But she is ignorant. Yeah, but we all have our friend who, like, undervalues yourself, and she's like, no, I must be at fault. Yeah. It just gets aggravating when it gets to this point. I do have friends like that, and I do yell at them. I'm like, shut up! You make your friends look at the facts. Yes, this is the facts. You are denying them. It's like, I'm going to force you to love yourself. And Jane doesn't, and she hopes that Caroline has just deceived herself, and that she's wrong in believing that and Lizzie's like okay believe that if you will and now you can forget about it she's deceived and Jane says but how could I ever be happy accepting a man whose sisters and friends all wish for him to marry someone else 
which is real. She's so selfless. She is. And also, everyone's approval in these things matters to everyone. Like, you can say you don't care what people think, but you do. That is true, except basically, like, Mary. (laughs) Well, no, Mary does care what other people think. Well, Mary cares what... Mary doesn't really care what other people think. She but. does, she does, because she's she's trying to prove herself in some she way, is. shape, or form. I feel like the only person who really doesn't give a shit is Daddy Bennett. He really doesn't. He honestly doesn't give a mm. shit. Well, and then Lizzie says, you must decide for yourself if you could live that way. And I noted that I think that Lizzie seems the only one in this novel capable of deciding for herself. Except maybe Kitia and Mary. So like four out of five sisters. Yeah, so Jane needs to decide for herself a little more. Jane needs to read some self-love books. She needs to read Jamila Jamil's Instagram feed. Oh, we love Jamila Jamil on this podcast. If if you'd love to come on this podcast, we would adore to have you. We would probably die. Yeah. Can we handle it? Unclear. Unclear. So Lizzie tells Jane if she deliberates and finds that she would be more upset over disobliging his sisters than she would be happy over being his wife, then by all means, she should turn him down. And Jane says, how could you even think that? Even though I'd be upset, I could never deny him. Swoon. Sounds like she's already made up her mind. Oh. But... She won't have to decide anyway, she says, because he's never coming back. Lizzie says that's just a suggestion of Caroline's interested wishes and that she doubts that those wishes could influence a young man so totally independent of anyone. Which is just an ominous thing for Lizzie to say. Well, yeah, and again, a young man so totally independent of everyone, he needs 12 opinions. He needs them. He's the least independent person. Why is it ominous? Well, like... To say, like, he's so independent. Well, of course Oh, yes. Back. I'm sensing some foreshadowing. Well, I mean, it's already foreshadowed into the next two chapters we read. Yes, which is the only reason I do sense the foreshadowing, because I have read the next two chapters. Exactly. Uh, so when you first read this, did you just think that it was obvious Caroline had just made this up? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because, no. I was... Here's the thing. My first thought was that... Caroline is still just harping on Darcy. Then when she said the whole thing about him and the other one, Georgiana Darcy, that has me a little bit questioning, like, you know, their family ties because they're very close family friends. So there is a possibility that that has been planned out at some point. But how could... I mean, I I know that Caroline knows that Bingley and Jane have feelings for each other. So that is definitely fake, that she's pretending she doesn't know. Mm -hmm. But the potential for them to get actually married, Georgie and Charlie, like, that's a possibility. Team... Jingley? No, no. No, Team Georgie. Bingliana. Team Bingliana Darcy. I am not Team Bingliana Darcy. I just want (laughs) to say, we're not on that board. We're we're not about this base. No, not about that base. (laughs) Uh, Jane tears up, though, and they decide that they're only going to tell Mrs. Bennett that they left, but not the whole story. They're not telling them anything about Georgie Darcy and the potential not coming back thing. But even just knowing that they left, she bewailed, which is my new favorite word. This is a tough couple chapters for Mrs. Bennett. She's really struggling. She's having a time. It's, you know, especially that Mrs. Bennett didn't even like the concept of him leaving for like a day back in chapter two or whenever, where she was like, oh my god, what if he's always away on work and my daughter is alone in the house and blah, blah, blah. Like, now he's gone, gone. She's upset. Yep. Which brings us to chapter 22. The Bennetts go to the Lucases to dine. And Charlotte, once again, occupies Mr. Collins' time, because apparently Mr. Collins is invited wherever the Bennets are invited. And everyone is thankful, and Lizzie especially, again, is super thankful, and Charlotte's like, no biggie, no biggie, I can talk to him, because... (sighs) (laughs) Big surprise here. Possibly an even bigger plot twist. I couldn't even type straight writing these notes. There are so many typos in Molly's notes in this part. Charlotte apparently has some sort of weird thing for Mr. Collins and wants him to marry her. There's a really good line about this in there, which is basically like, she knows he's not clever, mm-hmm. and she knows that he's not pleasant, mm-hmm. but she, she knows that she has a shot at scoring him as a husband, so mm-hmm. she's 
gonna put on the charms. And she does. And all of her charms lead to him getting up early the next morning, sneaking out of Longbourn, and throwing himself at Charlotte's feet. Which is just a little dramatic. Well, he sneaks out because he doesn't want anyone to know what he's up to until he is successful because he's feeling a little embarrassed about what happened the last time, two days ago, when yeah. he tried to get married. And this feels like less of a sure bet. I'm gonna go into this later, but this proposal is a little, like, different than the Lizzie proposal in a lot right. of ways. Because he has no reason. Well, yeah, I mean, he just wants a wife. Poor baby. I mean, did we already forget last chapters? No, no, he really <laughs> wants a wife. Oh, he was not um, not great. He's no, he's not a poor baby. We don't like him. So Charlotte sees him coming, running to the house, and immediately sets out to quote meet him accidentally in the lane. Charlotte, you sly dog. Girl, Charlotte fucks. She does. Charlotte knows what she's got going. <laughs> Charlotte sees him coming, and he launches into his usual speeches. And in, quote, as short a time as his long speeches would allow, everything was settled between them. Basically, he's like, pick a date to make me the happiest man alive. And she is just like, uh, whenever. Because she knows that he's too stupid to be charming is what she then reasons, but she's accepting on the basis of the pure and disinterested desire for an establishment. Sure. Yeah, as I've realized, they say basically every episode here, the economics of dating in the Jane Austen world. Charlotte was destined for spinsterhood, and Mm -hmm. she saw an out, and she took it, and this is so juxtaposed against Lizzie's desire for love and companionship, and Jane's fantasy with this sweet, sweet man who she adored so much. You have Charlotte basically saying, yeah, I'd be economically destitute, or a leech on my family. So instead, what I have going for me is this kind of stupid guy will give me a comfortable home. Yeah. I'll have an income. Isn't that great? It is a different way of looking at things and one that is hard to judge Charlotte for, but one in which I feel like even Lizzie pities her in the moment, Mm -hmm. but I feel nowadays is one where we as ladies of the 21st century can really look at the sobering reality of being unmarried in this era. Yeah, well, I have some thoughts on what Lizzie thinks about this, but we'll get to that. Sir William and Lady Lucas are also very pleased that their daughter's going to have this income. And Lady Lucas immediately starts calculating with more interest than the matter had ever excited before how much longer Mr. Bennett has on this earth. I like to think that they've thought about it before, though, because it says that it had ever excited before. Well, it's never been exciting before, but maybe it's just a topic of conversation. Which makes me think that maybe he doesn't look quite like Zachary Quinto, and, and maybe he is a little bit closer to Santa Daddy. Santa Daddy. Santa Daddy. Oof, that is a rough phrase. Yeah, I don't like it, and additionally, I'm still going to go on picturing Zachary Quinto, maybe with a little salt and pepper hair. Yeah, that's exactly what we're sure. talking about here. Yeah. Um, question, though, is Sir William not rich from having been knighted and all that? Because I thought he was a philanthropist. I mean, they're all, like, kind of rich, including the Bennets. Okay. But he's not, like, Darcy rich or Bingley rich. He's not of the high money classes. He's just a knight. But he's not as rich as even Collins? I think he is richer than Collins. But... Only because Collins hasn't inherited yet. But this is also very much the fact that Charlotte would have been destitute. Right, and she's already 27. Yeah, exactly. So they're just happy for her to found someone. And it's not the same exact situation because the Lucases do have sons. Mm -hmm. So they have people who will inherit their property. But the little baby boy Lucases Uh would have had to take care of Charlotte in her old age as (gasps) a spinster. That's why they say the thing. Yeah. I thought it was just funny because then it says that the younger girls are all very excited that they might get to enter society a little sooner. And the boys were relieved from their apprehension of Charlotte's dying an old maid. And I thought that was just funny, but now I see that they would have had to be taking care of her. Yeah, they would have been obligated as her brother. I forgot about the women thing. Okay. I know I talk a lot about the rich and the poor and the dating and the Austin and all that, but I thought I was overkilling it, but it turns out, no, I still need to drill this into your head. Yeah, tell me more about the women thing. So women in Jane Austen need to marry for their income. It's funny because you saying this, like I can hear it echoing in my head in like the cavernous chambers of my brain, but I <laughs> forgot. I was like, Charlotte's going to inherit money, but she has brothers. I think that's maybe what I was forgetting. Yeah. 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 Because with the Bennets, we don't really have to think about that because they're all women. Well, that's why it's a panic with the Bennets. Right. If they had a like, brother. I got that. Yeah, I got yeah. that. Yeah. Because if they had a brother, he would inherit the estate. Yeah. No. Yeah, he would. But it's entailed. Yeah, it would be entailed to their brother. Okay. It is entailed to the next male 
heir. Is every estate entailed to the next main heir? Not male every heir. estate. It's complicated, but like the general rule of thumb okay. is it passes by males. Is this the is, estate entailed because they're all women? It's entailed because that's the nature of the estate. It passes by fee tail, which is like this. Becca is a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer in the economics of dating in Jane Austen, the two themes of this podcast. Yeah. So a fee tail is a created sort of like device. Think of it like a deed. It is sort of enshrined and it basically says this passes by male heir. Oh. And you can't sell the property. It has to stay, like when you've inherited the property, you cannot sell it. So the next person who will inherit it also cannot sell it. And the males are the ones inheriting. Got it. So theoretically, like I said, this doesn't exist in America. If by the inheritance, the like Bennett sisters couldn't inherit the estate, but there were no fee tail, then theoretically Mr. Collins would inherit the estate, but they could scrounge up a bunch of money and buy it back from him. I think I get it. I'm just confused that a law like that could exist. It preserved the higher classes in the UK for centuries. It's bullshit. Yeah. I don't know if it's still legal today, but I do know that's how the upper classes kept their wealth. And I also know that's how they kept women from inheriting. Why, though? I mean, I get it. We're in a different time period, but I don't understand. I think you understand, I understand. but you are incredulous I as am. to the way this works. Yeah, yeah, I also don't want our listeners to think that I'm ignorant <laughs> of the injustices that women and many other groups of people have gone through no. over all of these years. I, I get it. I know what's happened here, but I just am uh, frustrated by it. So. Oh, yeah, no, it's yeah. very different to, like, know the history of England, but then also be reading these characters and right, hearing about them. Right, you get to them. know them, and you're like, wait a minute, Charlotte's so great. Charlotte's brilliant, and she's smart, and she's such a good companion to Lizzie, and who cares that she's 27 and single? Yeah. That's how we want to be. Yeah. But in reality, Charlotte is trying to look out for her own life here. Yeah. So, yeah. And she's pretty indifferent about... The fact that she's marrying this man, she doesn't really think very highly of him or men or of marriage in general, but she's always had the goal of eventually getting married because, you know, it's, quote, the only honorable provision for a well-educated woman of small fortune, which is her. She was never very pretty, but now she feels all the good luck of a pretty girl. She is so practical, but I'm glad she's at least getting some, like, good feelings in. Yeah. Because apparently, like I said, Charlotte fucks. Yeah. She has abilities to woo a really ridiculously stupid man. Yeah, and she did it in a day. At a girl. He threw right. himself at her feet. He was on the rebound. I'm yeah. going to talk about sure, this sure. more, Yeah, but it's still impressive. Yeah. She's very nervous to tell Lizzie, who is her best friend, and I get that because if there is such a thing as a girl code, she done broke it. But she wants to tell herself and she tells Collins not to mention anything when he gets back to Longbourn, which is very hard for him since when he gets back, everyone immediately asks him where he was. And I'm imagining specifically Kidia meeting him at the door and being like, so where were you? I feel like yes, but I also feel like they have no interest in him as they well. They have zero interest but in him. Bored. But everyone like directly asks him where he was and he's like being mysterious. I, I would love, love it to be like... Not proposing, if that's what you thought. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> and he's leaving the next morning, finally, so they have to say goodbye to him that night. And Mrs. Bennett, to be polite, says she hopes he'll visit them again at Longbourn soon. And he says he will. And they're all like, what? <laughs> they're like, Lizzie offended him. Why would he come back? Right. And Mr. Bennett says, uh, uh, won't Lady Catherine be upset if you leave again? You'd better neglect your relations than run the risk of offending your patroness. And Collins doesn't see what's happening there. And he's like, oh, thank you for your friendly caution. I will be sure to clear it with her. And Mr. Bennett says... Um, well, if it's at all likely she will be upset, which I'm sure it's very likely, we won't be offended if you don't come. He's like, please don't. <laughs> please, please don't come. And he and Collins are having this, like, war of manners, trying to see who can be more cordial. And Collins is like, oh, thank you very much for having me. And Bennett's like, please, please don't come back. We don't want you to offend anyone. <laughs> and Collins is very thankful and says he'll be writing a letter of thanks as well. But now he wants to wish all of his cousins health and happiness, even Elizabeth. Dark. <laughs> Dark. And just like out loud he says this. And then everyone withdraws. Mrs. Bennett thinking maybe he wants to come back again soon so that he can try to court Mary. 
which I think is a great idea. It would have been a really good pairing. It would have been awesome. There's some adaptation out there where, like, the lead-up to all of this has Mary just thirsting after Collins, yes. which I love as, yes. a, as a conceit. I mean, again, I love picturing Mary as our beautiful, closeted lesbian oh, yeah, she's in the so time gay. period. She's so, gay. she's so gay. But she would do well with Collins. They would be good friends. Maybe beards for each other. Oh, I would love that fanfic. Please write that for us. Somebody write that. And Mary, you know, thinks more highly of him than anyone else, though he is by no means as clever as her. She thought maybe if she encouraged him to read more and improve himself by her example, he could be okay. So I really wish for that. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now, Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films, or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. But the next day, Charlotte comes over and tells Lizzie everything that has happened. And Lizzie is just aghast. She says, impossible. And Charlotte is a little bit taken aback by this very abrupt reaction from Lizzie. But she says, why so surprised? Do you think it incredible that Mr. Collins should be able to procure any woman's good opinion because he was not so happy as to succeed with you? And... I think that's fair. Lizzie collects herself and then tells her she's happy for her, and she says the prospect of their relationship is grateful to her. Now, I'm kind of seeing where Charlotte's coming from here, and I have some thoughts on what Lizzie might be feeling, because it's kind of like she turned down the guy who didn't seem good enough for her, and someone immediately scoops him up and is, like, now talking about how she's all set for life, and I feel like Lizzie might be feeling a little bit of, like, shit. Maybe not. Maybe I don't know Lizzie well enough, but... I feel like if it were me, and I always feel like if I see someone I once turned down dating someone else, I'm like, damn, they're happy. Maybe that oh, would have been me. Oh, it's so annoying where you're like, oh man, even the person I didn't want found somebody. Right. It's so, it's so bad. It's, it's a very unhealthy instinct. I do not encourage this instinct. We should just let people be happy if we don't want them. But it is an instinct. It's an instinct. And I think that Lizzie is experiencing that based on how over the top she rejects the so, idea. I think that's true. I also think there's an element to it that's basically, first of all, again, goes to the fact that it means Charlotte is the heiress of Longbourn. Which I didn't think about until they mentioned it in the next chapter. Yep. I didn't even process that. But I also think it speaks to the fact that Lizzie is sort of young and beautiful, and Lizzie has prospects. So one of the things that I think is true about Lizzie, despite her independent girl power persona, is that she assumes she'll find a good husband. She is not on a level of thinking... She's gonna end up like Charlotte does at 27. How old is Lizzie again? Did we find out? We haven't found out. She's much younger than Charlotte, okay. though. She is of a ripe marrying age. Okay. She is not an old maid at all. I do not plan on being married by the time I'm 27. I am 26. What is that line from Broad City? I'm 27. What am I, a child bride? I've never seen Broad City. 
Becca's aghast. I've never seen Broad City. I just watched sorry, Girls for the I first time. Literally, I'm sorry if this is going to offend people, but Broad City is way more of a priority than Girls. Girls is not very good. I enjoyed it. I did not enjoy Girls. But regardless, in this time period, 27 is extremely old, but Lizzie is not an old Got maid. It. Lizzie is ripe for the picking. Yeah. For many husbands. But I think... For many husbands. Lizzie is assuming that she's gonna be happy in the end. And she's pretty. She's charming. She's smart as a tack. She tech. reads the books. Exactly. And she's good at being in society. So mm-hmm. she has the ability to be discerning, but she does come from this place of privilege that I think she thinks it's gonna work out. Yeah. Charlotte has no delusions of that. Right. Because Charlotte, she's described as being kind of plain, but also Charlotte has lived the reality of, I'm going to be an old maid. Yeah. And And her brothers are probably, like, harping on her about it. I don't know how much British people talk about this shit, (laughs) but she's definitely someone that the town thinks of as someone who's not, you know, going to necessarily marry a guy. And she she nabbed a guy with a modest income and a good job. She's going to have all the trappings of life that, would have been denied to her otherwise. Yeah. So does sort of speak to like, it's really easy for Lizzie to mock when she clearly is going to have other suitors. She even has one suitor she she's does. exciting That's uh, true. excited That's about true. and one that she has no concept of. Yeah. Oh, forgot about him. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot Darcy is into Lizzie? Uh, just because it wasn't really happening in these chapters. Yeah, that is actually true. Darcy has not been in this book for like five chapters. Yeah, so we forget about him. Yes. He's forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> clearly. But my point is that she has has all these guys who are after her, Charlotte does not. Yeah. And so it's easy for her to laugh at Collins and his proposal. It's not so easy for Charlotte to do that. Right. And I think this comes from a little bit of Lizzie being insensitive as well. Yeah. As a friend. Oh, yeah. Shortcomings of our girl. Yeah, it's true. Those are shortcomings of our girl. It is also true that Charlotte is absolutely wasting her brilliant mind and her companionship. Oh, yeah. But she also has said she doesn't care who she marries. And she said that before. Early on, she was like, you'll find out the faults of your husband after you marry him just get married so that's what she's doing and i like that she doesn't go back on herself like that like she she has principles and she sticks to them she's a smart girl she comes from a very different perspective than lizzie yeah and this is where the two shall never meet yeah and it, Lizzie realizes that a little in this moment. She does. She's surprised that Charlotte has sacrificed her own happiness, basically for money. A bit of a sellout. And she kind of thinks it's humiliating for Charlotte, like, to picture them together. She's having a moment. I think this is a bit of a wake-up call to her. And, yeah. It's it, all just so strange. I think it is a bit of a sobering moment for Lizzie. Yeah, I mean, Charlotte also brings up the fact that it must be surprising since Collins had just proposed to her the day before. Yes. Which is for sure. But she reminds Lizzie she's never been a romantic. She just wants a comfortable home. And she thinks that she'll be as happy as she can be being married. Because marriage isn't the thing that's going to make Charlotte happy. Pour one out for our awesome homie Charlotte, who we are losing to a shitty marriage. (laughs) If only we still had our tea. We finished our... I have water. No, don't actually pour any water on my floor. (laughs) So chapter 23. Sir William comes by to tell the rest of the family. Uh, is this the same day or later that day? I actually am not sure. Uh, I think it could be the same day. Yeah. He comes by to make the formal announcement. Mrs. Bennett immediately is like, you know, you must be mistaken. And Lydia says, good lord, Sir William, how could you tell such a story? Do you not know that Mr. Collins wants to marry Lizzie? <laughs> this is so awkward. It's so awkward, and Sir William Lucas is very kind and tolerant and listens to all of their impertinence very calmly. And Lizzie then tells everyone that it's true, Charlotte had told her herself, and she earnestly congratulates Sir William. And Jane immediately jumps in and talks about how excellent of character Mr. Collins is. Which only Jane could say with a straight face. Yeah, and it's also a lie, Jane, so... (laughs) And how nice it is that Hunsford is so close to London. Is Hunsford where they live? No, 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 no. I think Hunsford is where Collins lives. Oh! So that's, like, very nice for them to be She'll be like near to the town. I see. When Sir William leaves, Mrs. Bennett immediately goes on a rant about how, one, it can't be true. Two, Mr. Collins has been taken in, meaning I think that if it is true, they captured him and... Well, that Charlotte used her feminine wiles on ah, him. Ah, yes. Which is true. Slutty Charlotte. No, no. But I mean, it's the idea that she's been manipulating him, which... Right. She has. She has. 
but he likes it. He loves it. Three, they'll never be happy together. And four, the match will be broken off. And of course, it is all Lizzie's fault. Which it is. Which it is. And that uh, Mrs. Bennet herself has been barbarously used by them all, which she has not. Quote, nor did that day wear out her resentment. A week elapsed before she could see Elizabeth without scolding her. A month passed away before she could speak to Sir William or Lady Lucas without being rude. And many months were gone before she could at all forgive their daughter. Whew, she is angry. I, I have to ask, months don't actually pass in these chapters, right? I think this is just perspective. Not perspective. It's reflecting it's the future. It's showing what's hap- going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Jane is surprised, but wishes for their happiness. Lizzie doesn't believe that they will be happy, and Kitty doesn't really care. I wonder how Mary feels about it, because Mary could have been a suitor for him. Well, I think that most of this fanfic that we're writing, a lot of people would say that Mary is pretty upset. She's sad. She's holed herself up in her room with her Bible, and she's just been reading. I was going to say with Simple Plan. Or with Simple Plan. Or My Chemical Romance. Green Day. Maybe just like Christina Perry over and over again. (laughs) So Lady Lucas keeps calling on Longbourn to say how happy she is. I have to give it to Lady Lucas for this because Mrs. Bennet spends so much time just being like, oh, my daughter? Yeah. Oh my God, you're right. (laughs) Lady Lucas finally gets to be like, oh, my daughter. (laughs) I'm remembering chapter five when they go to the Lucases after the ball. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, Charlotte, didn't you dance with him first? But then, uh, then but he then, danced with Jane, with Jane twice. twice. Yeah, and I imagine that Mrs. Bennett is just sitting there with this forced smile on her face like, oh, I'm so happy for you. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. And Lady Lucas knows every moment of it, so she's been waiting for years for the moment to just put Mrs. Bennett in her place. Yep. This is a whole other story that could play out. Yeah, I love this. Lizzie and Charlotte don't really talk about it, and Lizzie's kind of lost all trust for her. She doesn't think that they'll ever really have confidence in each other ever again. Sometimes a friend makes a decision that is so counter to your belief system Mm -hmm. that is borderline a betrayal of you. Mm -hmm. I feel like Lizzie feels that a little here. She does. So instead of having any regard for Charlotte, she turns all her regard to her sister because Bingley still hasn't written. But I I had to put a little note in here about self-love. Lizzie... What about some regard for yourself? Why don't you take some time and, like, write in your journal and, I don't know, She could just tea. reflect. Yes. She's doing okay, though. Lickham She's is fine. still, like, thriving at this point. It's true, but she does seem to always have to have concern for other people. Yeah, she's a very outward projector of all of her emotions, yeah. both good and bad. Mm-hmm. This is actually a really good point because... She took all of her regard off Charlotte without even reflecting on how Charlotte must be doing with all this. Mm-hmm. And then she puts it all on Jane instead of dealing with it. Instead of dealing it. with, like, how it's making her feel, too. Yeah. Because yeah. there's got to be something there, like we've talked about. Jane had written Caroline back, but we haven't heard back from Caroline yet. And Collins's letter arrived, thanking them profusely for having him and also letting them know that the only reason he actually wants to come back so soon is so that he can see Charlotte again and that he'd be back on Monday in two weeks. They, <laughs> Which is, ugh. And Mrs. Bennett wonders why he would come to Longbourn instead of just going to Lucas Lodge, which I also wonder. Well, he's going to inherit Longbourn. That's true. Oh, Yep. Mrs. Bennett is stressed. It's affecting her health, as we have talked about. She has literally made herself sick with anxiety at this point in time. The word has gotten around to Maryton that Bingley isn't coming back this winter, and that stresses her out even more. Well, yeah, there's a line in a chapter earlier where Mm -hmm. she's like, I'm going to marry off two of my daughters. Oh, my God. And then she marries off none. Yeah, and... You know, the Collins one we can clock her for being upset about, but the Bingley one, like everyone knew. That yeah. is so bad. Ooh, that's going to make their family look bad. It's going to make Jane look scorned and pitied, which is a damn shame because she's Jane and she's perfect. She's so good. Lizzie starts to get a little nervous. Not that Bingley doesn't love Jane because she knows that he does but that his sisters might actually succeed in keeping him away. And quote that the efforts of his unfeeling sisters, his overpowering friend, meaning Darcy, and the attractions of Miss Darcy might be too much for the strength of his attachment. Lizzie, have a little faith. Yeah, but I mean, it's tough when you kind of see this playing out the way it is. I know, it's not 
it's looking fun. bad. And Jane won't really talk about her feelings, so she and Lizzie never really talk about it, because obviously Lizzie would never say any of these things to Jane. But luckily for them, Mrs. Bennet talks about it enough for anyone. Oh, well, I think that's the total opposite, because what's so clear, Austin does a really good job of writing this without writing it down. Mm-hmm. Jane is devastated. She's so sad. Devastated and brokenhearted. And every day she has to hear her mother scream about how she's gonna kill this guy. And and how, how, like, how dare he wrong her and blah, blah, blah. And then Jane also was gonna be pitied and was ill-used. Yeah. And Jane just doesn't want to deal with any of it because Jane just wants to cry. Yeah, poor Jane. I can't wait to watch this movie. (laughs) Oh, my God. Remember, we still have volume the second and volume the third. I know. I can't believe. Yeah. So Collins arrives... It's now two weeks from before, and he's too happy this time to really need much attention. The business of lovemaking relieved them from a great deal of his company. I don't think he means what that means. Right, but it's just interesting. (laughs) Jaw dropped, because I thought that that meant what it meant today, but I'm sure that it means his courting, his courtship. It's possible that Charlotte fucks. Yeah, but I don't think Fox. that's what's happening. No, <laughs> it's it's what it is. Is he's been going to Lucas Lodge during the day, hangs out, courts Charlotte, comes back at night, and they don't have to see him, which is nice. You know what he's probably doing though? Hmm. Masturbating vigorously. Oh my god! <laughs> he's just hiding in his room and he pretends that he went to Lucas Lodge, but he's just in his room all day. Oh no no no! I was saying like he goes to Lucas Lodge during the day, then at night after dinner he just sits oh, in his at bed. Night. <laughs> This might be too gross, but it is absolutely true. Oh, so true. So, Mrs. Bennett is rapidly disintegrating. Any Any mention of Mr. Collins and Charlotte just throws her into an agony of ill humor, and she hears talk of it wherever she goes. I imagine that she's doing a lot of that talking. No, I think it's the gossip of the town. Ah, yes. Again, everyone thought Charlotte Lucas was going to be an old maid. This is big This is big, yeah, this is big. Also, people know Collins is inheriting this estate. So now he chose not to marry any of the Bennett daughters. It looks bad. It looks super bad. And I didn't even think about it until now in the book where they talk about how the sight of Charlotte makes Mrs. Bennett really angry because she's now her successor in the house. It's wild. Back to feeling bad for Mrs. Bennett. That sucks. It sucks. It really sucks. And Charlotte, I think, loves the Bennetts and doesn't want to do them dirty. It's not her fault. I mean, it is her fault, but it's not her fault. It is her fault. It is her fault. Because I'm sure Mr. Collins would have come back for round two on a Bennett girl. Yeah. If he hadn't gotten Charlotte. Yeah. But I also can't fault her. She's doing her best for herself. She is. And she comes to their house a lot. And Mrs. Bennett, whenever she's there, Mrs. Bennett is just imagining that she's anticipating the hour of taking possession of the house. And whenever she sees Charlotte and Mr. Collins, like, whispering with each other, she assumes that they're, like, talking about the estate and how they're going to throw out Mrs. Bennett and the daughters the minute that Mr. Collins dies. And Mr. Bennett dies. Mr. <laughs> the minute that Mr. Bennett dies. And Mrs. Bennett complains to Mr. Bennett. And she tells him how she's feeling about this, and he says, Let us flatter ourselves that I may be the survivor. (sighs) I like that you have, like, a low-key crush on Daddy Bennett. I have a high-key crush on Daddy (laughs) Bennett. I'm not even ashamed at this point. Everything he says is brilliant. It it really is. And Mrs. Bennett isn't really consoled by the fact that he might be the survivor. It's dicey that he's the survivor. He's a little old. And Collins is 25. Yeah, and Mr. Bennett, despite looking like Zachary Quinto, he's just doing well for his age, I guess, but he might die. (laughs) So, (laughs) the theme of these chapters is Mr. Bennett might die. Maybe this is a murder mystery. Who knows? Again, that's Agatha Christie. Sorry, we've done this already. (laughs) So, Mrs. Bennett complains then about the entail and says, if it were not for the entail, I should not mind it. He says, what should you not mind? She says, I should not mind anything at all. And he says, let us be thankful that you are preserved from a state of such insensibility. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) But then she says, how could one have the conscience to entail away an estate from one's own daughters? And I say, truly, how could one? Who made the entail? But we've already talked about this. I still don't understand. It's very difficult to break a fetal. But, like, who made it? Someone way back when. So she asks, why should Mr. Collins have it more than anyone else? And Mr. Bennett says he leaves it to her to determine. Which is how volume the first ends, which seems like kind of a meh way to end. Well, not every copy of Pride and Prejudice breaks it into volumes. Oh. I like that it's broken into volumes here because I think it gives us nice markers to sort of review what we've Mm -hmm. gone through and Mm -hmm. give overarching themes to the Mm -hmm. pieces of this book. But yeah, that's kind of a dire place to end things. All the Bennets are kind of in disarray at this point. Except for Mr. Bennett. 
who is unflappable. He's hot. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're on my study questions now. I've got some good ones this time. I'm excited. So I said Bingley betrayal in big letters. What happened and what are your predictions for the Bingleys and when they come back, if they come back, what actually transpired? Mm -hmm. And do you buy all of what Lizzie said or all of what Jane said or somewhere in between? I'm on Lizzie's side here. I think that it's all Caroline and maybe a little Louisa. I think that... Leanne. Leanne. (laughs) I think that Bingley has nothing to do with this, that he probably got called away on business, and it seemed like it was going to be longer than a three-day trip. So they were like, we'll all come. This is where early on I said the sisters were going to fuck shit up. This is them... You did? ...fucking shit up. And I don't know why, because it seems like Caroline's bigger concern should be her crush on Darcy. You would think, but again, Bingley is inheriting for them. Mm. Inheriting what? The Bingley fortune. So why did they care who he marries? It's about preserving the bloodline of, like, the high class. Oh, I see. So do they really want him to marry Darcy's sister? What does Darcy think about all this? These are my questions. I think that Jane is being dumb here. I think that Lizzie is probably correct in that it's all Charlotte being... Not Charlotte, Caroline. I think there's a little bit in that Jane's being dumb here, but I think that primarily I understand her instincts pretty profoundly on this. Yeah. It's a real heartbreaking moment. This is a deep disappointment. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what's happening. We don't know if he'll be back, when he'll be back. Yeah, I don't know if he's coming back, but I do believe that it's the sisters who are keeping him there. I do worry he'll be gone for quite some time. Yeah. Graham, we're going to need the sound effect because we have a second proposal. (laughs) Not necessarily that sound effect, but a sound effect. Um, I can hear the bell. There's the singing we should have gone for in this episode. (laughs) So one of the things that I think is interesting is, first of all, we got some back-to-back proposals, which was a bit of a plot twist. A very big plot twist. But I do think there's a little bit of a difference between the way that Collins goes for Charlotte and Lizzie. And I would argue that Collins developed, if not genuine, at least actual feelings for Charlotte where he didn't for Lizzie. I think he did because it actually mentions early on... That when she walks into the room, he, like, greets her and asks about her family and stuff in earlier chapters. Yeah. And I think it's, like, one of those seeds that's planted kind of beautifully towards the beginning of the book. I don't know how popular opinion this is, but mostly I think he assumed he was going to be able to just nab one of the Bennett girls. So he nabs Lizzie. He's kind of humiliated and rejected and embarrassed. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Charlotte shows him sort of flattery and kindness, Mm -hmm. and he's so grateful for that that he's desperate to have her. And the fact that it says he fell to his knees proposing to her, Mm -hmm. like, that is a different approach than, Elizabeth, I'd like to make you my wife. That's so true. Right? He was so cordial to Lizzie and to Charlotte. He was like, make me the happiest man alive. Exactly. I mean, I wouldn't say he was cordial to Lizzie. I would say he planned he was, out a bunch of speeches yeah. and didn't think he had a shot at losing. Whereas yeah. here, there's a sense that he's almost trying for something romantic. And Charlotte's not buying it. Mm-hmm. But you can tell, like, she actually did listen to him and treat him nicer. Mm-hmm. Does go to show. Everyone needs a friend. And if you are looking for a way into someone's heart, it's not that difficult if that person is really socially awkward. Sure. <laughs> been there. Very dark moment. So the next question I have, Charlotte's decision versus Lizzie's decision. Charlotte made a pretty pragmatic choice. She doesn't believe in love, really, in the same way Lizzie does. she doesn't. She's not a romantic, and she knows that about herself, and she says that. And I think she made the right choice for her. The only problem with her choice is that his man just proposed to Lizzie. But there's also no stealing your man kind of thing going on, because she knows Lizzie hates him. Yeah, and it's also, again, a a little bit of a tragedy because Mr. Collins is so much worse than Charlotte. He's so much worse. And she's not going to like her husband. Yeah, also, Lizzie's never going to be able to forgive her for turning her out of her own house. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Charlotte would let her stay. But Lizzie would be miserable there with Collins. Well, there's five daughters. They're not going to realistically provide for all five daughters. Right. They can't. Yeah. It is an inevitability that Charlotte is now tied up in the disinheritance of the Bennett sisters, Mm -hmm. which is a bit of a tragedy also for these friendships Mm -hmm. that we have grown to love in these first few chapters of this book. So that's dark, but we can go on. So I wanted to go to the fact that we are finishing up volume the first. Volume the first. Volume the first. We started this book with 
a certain set of expectations set up by the first line. Mm -hmm. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. We've basically run out a summer where these girls are trying to get these single men in possession of a good fortune or just interact with them at all. Mm -hmm. And... We've seen a trajectory where we've gone from all these eligible single men who we think all these girls are just going to be dating, and now they're all gone? What, they left. Yeah, let's unpack this first piece of this story. What are your thoughts on this? So, the single men, at first, it was all kind of connected to the Bennett sisters in some way, and now all of the single men have been, in their brains, promised to someone else. Their family isn't the center of it anymore. Collins is now with Charlotte. Bingley now might be with baby Darcy. And... Darcy might be with Baby DeBerg. And Wickham is still there. Yeah, Wickham is still there flirting with Lizzie. Wickham is still there, and all the officers are still there. But all the other ones are out with other people now. So I'm interested in, like, what volume the second does with them. That is a very good question. And also begs the question of, will we meet other single men? Oh, God! (laughs) What? I don't know. Just speculating. That's too many people. (laughs) She's going to get overwhelmed by the amount of characters. All right. Then one thing I wanted to bring up because it really struck me in these chapters. Mm -hmm. Vanity versus pride. Just a reminder, pride is in the title. Pride is in the title. And and one more thing I'll say about You've Got Mail is that one of the words that I did hear, or set of words, was that Lizzie is too proud to, before I started going, la, 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 la. So... I wonder about that, but you ask your question. So Vanity versus Pride, I think that actually you can look to some of the characters in these last few chapters and see where Vanity or Pride hits them. The ones I specifically mentioned were Bingley, Charlotte, Collins, and Lizzie. Okay. Charlotte, Pride. Because she doesn't care what other people think, and she wants herself to have good standing. And, like, a good life. But I wouldn't say that she's proud. She's actually quite humble. Yeah, I I would say there's an element to pride that takes on a different meaning nowadays. Because we, as 21st century readers, see pride not just as thinking of yourself as better than others, Mm -hmm. but also as thinking of yourself as not worse than others. Right. Being proud of who you are. I don't know if you guys know this, there's actually a big movement called pride. (laughs) Yes, pride. So it is not just... I do that. It is not just the deadly sin, it is also connected to self-worth. Self-worth. Lizzie has big pride. You can have it to a fault, obviously, and this book already shows Darcy having it to a fault. Darcy has it to a fault, Lizzie has it to a fault. I think Collins has vanity, because if someone does not fit Lady Catherine de Bourgh's standards, he is not going to marry them. He is not really proud of who he is, so much as proud of what people perceive of him how people perceive him and like his standing in life and like his status Mm -hmm. so he's very vain and i think bingley is kind of similar to jane in that he doesn't have a lot of self-worth well i don't know right now i'm basing it on the fact that his like sisters have taken him away and they're like telling him what's good for him and that's what i imagine is happening but he knows what he wants and jane knows what she wants but they're both not very like proud they don't know how to be who they are oh does he i don't know he's like such a great guy well i'm gonna no comment that yeah but i was gonna say that they both clearly care so much about each other it should be enough it should be enough i wonder though i wonder if he's got any vanity in him i was just gonna offer it up as a speculation yeah all right predictions for what comes next oh boy bingley is gone mr collins is leaving we are set to never see darcy again (laughs) what comes next I imagine that Wickham's got to meet the the parents. I think that with those other guys out of the way, Lizzie's got some time to bring her story to the forefront and maybe give herself a little, what do we call it, regard? R&R. (laughs) R&R. I think she's going to have some time with Wickham. I don't think that Mr. Collins is gone. I don't think Mr. Collins is leaving. I think Mr. Collins is going to be around. And so was Charlotte. But, oh, imagine if the story left Longbourn and we got to see the sisters and Bingley and, and Darcy and Lady... What about Lady Catherine de Bourgh? I'm sorry, that's pronounced Catherine de Bourgh. <laughs> what if Baby de Bourgh and Darcy get some story time? Mmm. Oh my god. So, just to recap where we're at right now. Yes. Baby de Bourgh and Dar... No, we should start from... We're talking about the, the, the like, tree. web. The web. So, we have Wickham and Lizzie seem to be happily flirting in a corner. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Lizzie has rejected Mr. Collins. Mr. Collins is now with Charlotte. And then you move over from that. Darcy, as far as we know, still kind of lusting after Lizzie. Lusting after Lizzie, but promised to baby DeBerg, who lives across the street from Collins, who is now with Charlotte. Meanwhile, Caroline is trying to get them all over to Longbourn because mm-hmm. she is wanting to get with Mr. Darcy and theoretically wants her brother to get with Baby Darcy. So she doesn't want them to go to Longbourn. She wants them to go to... Oh, sorry, not Longbourn. Um, Pemberley. 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 Mm-hmm. Then, meanwhile, we have Bingley and Jane, who clearly like each other, but something has... Something's going some on. Some wrench has been thrown. Something... What's it called? Uh, there's something rotten in the state of Denmark. Longbourn. Yes, exactly. Yes. And are we missing anyone? Oh, poor Mary. Mary. <laughs> and Kitty. Kitty is chilling. They they really haven't had any drama as they of haven't, yet. No. They're they're living. They're thriving. It would be interesting to see them find someone. I'm not going to comment on that. Okay, funniest quote. So this comes right after Charlotte says yes to Mr. Collins. And it says, both parents were very excited about the prospect, and Lady Lucas began directly to calculate with more interest than the matter had ever excited before how many years longer Mr. Bennett was likely to live. Extremely dark. I love it. Very dark. Questions moving forward? Everything. (laughs) Everything. How? Charlotte and Collins? How? What? Bingley? Where? When? Come back? (laughs) Why? Caroline? What? Fabulous. Uh, Very concise. And then finally, who wins the chapters? Oh, man. Mr. Bennett. I said no one in my notes. Yeah, here's the thing. I want a lot of people. I want Charlotte living her life for herself, but hurt some people's feelings and kind of ruined her friendship with Lizzie. And also, like, marrying a guy who's just not worth her. Not worth her. Lizzie being kind of a bad friend, but additionally still going with her gut, so, like, gotta love Lizzie for that, but I feel like she showed some negative colors today. Yep. Mrs. Bennet... Poor Mrs. Bennett, she doesn't win. Yeah, no, she's, she's losing. She's lost the chapters. She's lost I think the we chapters. can safely say that. Caroline, bitch. Mm, Kitty wasn't really in it. Mary wasn't really in it. Colin, well, Colin's got what he wanted. Yeah, but no, we're not giving it to Colin. All right, sorry, I even suggested <laughs> it. So, really, I guess the only one left is Mr. Bennett, who had a couple zingers. Mr. Bennett, you can take this limping victory. Yeah, you won by process of elimination. You won by not being upset at the end of this. Yeah, you know, I think he secretly is. He might be. Because his estate... They're all wishing for him to be dead. That is true. So but he's not be, dead. He's not dead yet. That's, that's the dream. We gotta remind everyone that Mr. Bennett is not dead. So anyway, that is volume the first of Pride and Prejudice. I'm so excited to move forward in this book. I'm excited for what you're gonna think about the next volume of this I book. I can't wait. I can't wait either. It's so exciting. There's is it some... the same length as this volume? No, this is the longest volume. Ah. This is page 130, and this book is less than 400 pages. Wow. So we are solidly through it. Wow, so that's our time. Until next time, stay proper. And find a husband or a wife. Yes! <laughs> Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick with art by Torrance Brown. Special thanks to our audio producer, Graham Cook, without whom we would sound like garbage fire. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod and Prejudice. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash pod and prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash pod and prejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening!